1 Corinthians, Chapter 4 Matthew Henry's Commentary on the Whole Bible An Exposition, with Practical Observations, of The First Epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians Chapter 4 In this chapter, the Apostle 1. Directs them how to account of him and his fellow ministers, and therein, tacitly at least, reproves them for their unworthy carriage towards him, verses 1-6. 2. He cautions them against pride and self-elation, and hints at the many temptations they had to conceive too highly of themselves, and despise him and other apostles, because of the great diversity in their circumstances and condition, verses 7-13. 3. He challenges their regard to him as their father in Christ, verses 14-16. 4. He tells them of his having sent Timothy to them, and of his own purpose to come to them shortly, however some among them had pleased themselves, and grown vain, upon the quite contrary expectation, verses 17-21. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1-6. Here. 1. The Apostle challenges the respect due to him on account of his character and office, in which many among them had at least very much failed, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God, verse 1, though possibly others might have valued them too highly, by setting him up as the head of a party, and professing to be his disciples. In our opinion of ministers, as well as all other things, we should be careful to avoid extremes. Apostles themselves were. 1. Not to be overvalued for they were ministers, not masters, stewards, not lords. They were servants of Christ, and no more, though they were servants of the highest rank, that had the care of his household, that were to provide food for the rest, and appoint and direct their work. Note, it is a very great abuse of their power, and highly criminal in common ministers, to lord it over their fellow servants, and challenge authority over their faith or practice. For even apostles were but servants of Christ, employed in his work, and sent on his errand, and dispensers of the mysteries of God, or those truths which had been hidden from the world in ages and generations past. They had no authority to propagate their own fancies, but to spread Christian faith. 2. Apostles were not to be undervalued, for, though they were ministers, they were ministers of Christ. The character and dignity of their master put an honor on them. Though they are but stewards, they are not stewards of the common things of the world, but of divine mysteries. They had a great trust, and for that reason had an honorable office. They were stewards of God's household, high stewards in His kingdom of grace. They did not set up for masters, but they deserved respect and esteem in this honorable service. Especially, 2. When they did their duty in it, and approved themselves faithful, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, verse 2, trustworthy. The stewards in Christ's family must appoint what He hath appointed they must not set their fellow servants to work for themselves. They must not require anything from them without their master's warrant. They must not feed them with the chaff of their own inventions, instead of the wholesome food of Christian doctrine and truth. They must teach what he hath commanded, and not the doctrines and commandments of men. They must be true to the interest of their Lord, and consult his honor. Note, the ministers of Christ should make it their hearty and continual endeavor to approve themselves trustworthy, and when they have the testimony of a good conscience, and the approbation of their master, they must slight the opinions and censures of their fellow servants, but with me, set the apostle, it is a small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment, verse 3. Indeed, reputation and esteem among men are a good step towards usefulness in the ministry, 
and Paul's whole argument upon this head shows he had a just concern for his own reputation. But he that would make it his chief endeavor to please men would hardly approve himself a faithful servant of Christ, Galatians 1 verse 10. He that would be faithful to Christ must despise the censures of men for his sake. He must look upon it as a very little thing, if his Lord approves him, what judgment men form of him. They may think very meanly or very hardly of him, while he is doing his duty, but it is not by their judgment that he must stand or fall. And happy is it for faithful ministers that they have a more just and candid judge than their fellow servants, one who knows and pities their imperfections, though he has none of his own. It is better to fall into the hands of God than into the hands of men, 2 Samuel 24 verse 14. The best of men are too apt to judge rashly, and harshly, and unjustly, but his judgment is always according to truth. It is a comfort that men are not to be our final judges. Nay, we are not thus to judge ourselves, yeah, I judge not myself. For though I know nothing by myself, cannot charge myself with unfaithfulness, yet I am not thereby justified, this will not clear me of the charge, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. It is his judgment that must determine me. By his sentence I must abide. Such I am as he shall find and judge me to be. Note, it is not judging well of ourselves, justifying ourselves, that will prove us safe and happy. Nothing will do this but the acceptance and approbation of our sovereign judge. Not he that commendeth himself is approved, but he whom the Lord commendeth, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18. 3. The Apostle takes occasion hence to caution the Corinthians against censoriousness the forward and severe judging of others, therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, verse 5. It is judging out of season, and judging at an adventure. He is not to be understood of judging by persons in authority, within the verge of their office, nor of private judging concerning facts that are notorious, but of judging persons' future state, or the secret springs and principles of their actions, or about facts doubtful in themselves. To judge in these cases, and give decisive sentence, is to assume the seat of God and challenge his prerogative. Note, how bold a sinner is the forward and severe censurer. How ill-timed and arrogant are his censures. But there is one who will judge the censurer, and those he censures, without prejudice, passion, or partiality. And there is a time coming when men cannot fail judging a right concerning themselves and others, by following his judgment. This should make them now cautious of judging others, and careful in judging themselves. There is a time coming when the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and make manifest the counsels of the heart's deeds of darkness that are now done in secret, and all the secret inclinations, purposes, and intentions of the hidden man of the heart. Note, there is a day coming that will dispel the darkness and lay open the face of the deep, will fetch men's secret sins into open day and discover the secrets of their hearts, the day shall declare it. The judge will bring these things to light. The Lord Jesus Christ will manifest the counsels of the heart, of all hearts. Note, the Lord Jesus Christ must have the knowledge of the counsels of the heart, else he could not make them manifest. This is a divine prerogative, Jeremiah 17 verse 10, and yet it is what our Savior challenges to himself in a very peculiar manner, Revelation 2 verse 23, All the churches shall know that I am he who searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give to every one of you according to your works. Note, we should be very careful how we censure others, when we have to do with a judge from whom we cannot conceal ourselves. Others do not lie open to our notice, but we lie all open to his, and, when he shall come to judge, every man shall have praise of God. Every man, that is, everyone qualified for it, everyone who has done well. 
though none of God's servants can deserve anything from him, though there be much that is blamable even in their best services, yet shall their fidelity be commended and crowned by him, and should they be condemned, reproached, or vilified, by their fellow servants, he will roll away all such unjust censures and reproaches, and show them in their own amiable light. Note, Christians may well be patient under unjust censures, when they know such a day as this is coming, especially when they have their consciences testifying to their integrity. But how fearful should they be of loading any with reproaches now whom their common judge shall hereafter commend? For, the apostle here lets us into the reason why he had used his own name and that of Apollos in this discourse of his. He had done it in a figure, and he had done it for their sakes. He chose rather to mention his own name, and the name of a faithful fellow laborer, than the names of any heads of factions among them, that hereby he might avoid what would provoke, and so procure for his advice the greater regard. Note, ministers should use prudence in their advices and admonitions, but especially in their reproofs, lest they lose their end. The advice the apostle would by this means inculcate was that they might learn not to think of men above what is written, above what he had been writing, nor be puffed up for one against another. Verse 6. Apostles were not to be esteemed other than planters or waterers in God's husbandry, master builders in his building, stewards of his mysteries, and servants of Christ. And common ministers cannot bear these characters in the same sense that apostles did. Note, we must be very careful not to transfer the honor and authority of the master to his servant. We must call no man master on earth, one is our master, even Christ, Matthew 23 verses 8 and 10. We must not think of them above what is written. Note, the word of God is the best rule by which to judge concerning men. And again, judging rightly concerning men, and not judging more highly of them than is fit, is one way to prevent quarrels and contentions in the churches. Pride commonly lies at the bottom of these quarrels. Self-conceit contributes very much to our immoderate esteem of our teachers, as well as ourselves. Our commendation of our own taste and judgment commonly goes along with our unreasonable applause, and always with a factious adherence to one teacher, in opposition to others that may be equally faithful and well-qualified. But to think modestly of ourselves, and not above what is written of our teachers, is the most effectual means to prevent quarrels and contests, sightings and parties, in the church. We shall not be puffed up for one against another if we remember that they are all instruments employed by God in His husbandry and building, and endowed by Him with their various talents and qualifications. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 7 to 13 here the apostle improves the foregoing hint to a caution against pride and self-conceit, and sets forth the temptations the Corinthians had to despise him, from the difference of their circumstances. 1. He cautions them against pride and self-conceit by this consideration, that all the distinction made among them was owing to God, who mocketh thee to differ. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Verse 7. Here the apostle turns his discourse to the ministers who set themselves at the head of these factions, and did but too much encourage and abet the people in those feuds. What had they to glory in, when all their peculiar gifts were from God? They had received them, and could not glory in them as their own, without wronging God. At the time when they reflected on them to feed their vanity, they should have considered them as so many debts and obligations to divine bounty and grace. But it may be taken as a general maxim, we have no reason to be proud of our attainments, enjoyments, or performances, all that we have, or are, or do, that is good, is owing to the free and rich grace of God. Boasting is forever excluded. There is nothing we have that we can properly call our own, all is received from God. 
It is foolish in us therefore, and injurious to him, to boast of it, those who receive all should be proud of nothing, Psalm 115 verse 1. Beggars and dependents may glory in their supports, but to glory in themselves is to be proud at once of meanness, impotence, and want. Note, due attention to our obligations to divine grace would cure us of arrogance and self-conceit. 2. He presses the duty of humility upon them by a very smart irony, or at least reproves them for their pride and self-conceit, you are full, you are rich, you have reigned as kings without us. You have not only a sufficiency, but an affluence of spiritual gifts, nay, you can make them the matter of your glory without us, that is, in my absence, and without having any need of me. There is a very elegant gradation from sufficiency to wealth, and thence to royalty, to intimate how much the Corinthians were elated by the abundance of their wisdom and spiritual gifts, which was a humor that prevailed among them while the apostle was away from them, and made them forget what an interest he had in all. He is stopped from growing wiser or better who thinks himself at the height, not only full, but rich, nay, a king. He is stopped from growing wiser or better who thinks himself at the height, not only full, but rich, nay, a king. 3. He comes to set forth his own circumstances and those of the other apostles, and compares them with theirs. 1. To set forth the case of the apostles, for I think it hath pleased God to set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle to the world, and to angels, and to men. Paul and his fellow apostles were exposed to great hardships. Never were any men in this world so hunted and worried. They carried their lives in their hands, God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, verse 9. An allusion is made to some of the bloody spectacles in the Roman amphitheaters, where men were exposed to fight with wild beasts, or to cut one another to pieces, to make diversion for the populace, where the victor did not escape with his life, though he should destroy his adversary, but was only reserved for another combat, and must be devoured or cut in pieces at last, so that such wretched criminals, for they were ordinarily condemned persons that were thus exposed, might very properly be called at the Phoenician persons devoted or appointed to death. They are said to be set forth last, because the meridian gladiators, those who combated one another in the afterpart of the day, were most exposed, being obliged to fight naked, so that, as Seneca says, Epist. 7. This was perfect butchery, and those exposed to beasts in the morning were treated mercifully in comparison with these. The general meaning is that the apostles were exposed to continual danger of death, and that of the worst kinds, in the faithful discharge of their office. God had set them forth, brought them into view, as the Roman emperors brought their combatants into the arena, the place of show, though not for the same purposes. They did it to please the populace, and humor their own vanity, and sometimes a much worse principle. The apostles were shown to manifest the power of divine grace, to confirm the truth of their mission and doctrine, and to propagate religion in the world. These were ends worthy of God-noble views, fit to animate them to the combat. But they had like difficulties to encounter, and were in a manner as much exposed as these miserable Roman criminals. Note, the office of an apostle was, as an honorable, so a hard and hazardous one, for we are made a spectacle to the world, and to angels, and to men, verse 9. A show. We are brought into the theater, brought out to the public view of the world. Angels and men are witnesses to our persecutions, sufferings, patience, and magnanimity. They all see that we suffer for our fidelity to Christ, and how we suffer, how great and imminent are our dangers, and how bravely we encounter them, how sharp our sufferings, and how patiently we endure them, by the power of divine grace and our Christian principles.
Ours is hard work, but honorable, it is hazardous, but glorious. God will have honor from us, religion will be credited by us. The world cannot but see and wonder at our undaunted resolution, our invincible patience and constancy. And how contentedly could they be exposed, both to sufferings and scorn, for the honor of their master? Note, the faithful ministers and disciples of Christ should contentedly undergo anything for his sake and honor. 2. He compares his own case with that of the Corinthians, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ, we are weak, but you are strong, you are honorable, but we are despised, verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, such in common account, and we are well content to be so accounted. We can pass for fools in the world, and be despised as such, so that the wisdom of God and the honor of the gospel may by this means be secured and displayed. Faithful ministers can bear being despised, so that the wisdom of God and the power of His grace be thereby displayed. But you are wise in Christ. You have the fame of being wise and learned Christians, and you do not a little value yourselves upon it. We are under disgrace for delivering the plain truths of the gospel, and in as plain a manner, you are in reputation for your eloquence and human wisdom, which among many make you pass for wise men in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are suffering for Christ's sake, so being weak plainly signifies, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10, when you are in easy and flourishing circumstances. All Christians are not alike exposed. Some suffer greater hardships than others who are yet engaged in the same warfare. The standard-bearers in an army are most struck at. So ministers in a time of persecution are commonly the first and greatest sufferers. Or else, we pass upon the world for persons of but mean endowments, mere striplings in Christianity, but you look upon yourselves, and are looked upon by others, as men, as those of a much more advanced growth and confirmed strength. Those are not always the greatest proficients in Christianity who think thus of themselves, or pass for such upon others. It is but too easy and common for self-love to commit such a mistake. The Corinthians may think themselves, and be esteemed by others, as wiser and stronger men in Christ than the apostles themselves. But oh! How gross is the mistake! For, he enters into some particularities of their sufferings, even to this present hour, that is, after all the service we have been doing among you and other churches, we hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor, working with our own hands, verses 11 and 12. Nay, they were made as the filth of the world, and the offscouring of all things, verse 13. They were forced to labor with their own hands to get subsistence, and had so much, and so much greater, business to mind, that they could not attend enough to this, to get a comfortable livelihood, but were exposed to hunger, thirst, and nakedness many times wanted meat, and drink, and clothes. They were driven about the world, without having any fixed abode, any stated habitation. Poor circumstances indeed, for the prime ministers of our Saviour's kingdom to have no house nor home, and to be destitute of food and raiment but yet no poorer than his who had not where to lay his head, Luke 9 verse 58. But O glorious charity and devotion, that would carry them through all these hardships! How ardently did they love God, how vehemently did they thirst for the salvation of souls! Theirs was voluntary, it was pleasing poverty. They thought they had a rich amends for all the outward good things they wanted, if they might but serve Christ and save souls. Nay, though they were made the filth of the world, and the offscouring of all things. They were treated as men not fit to live, Paracathamida. 
It is reasonably thought by the critics that an allusion is here made to a common custom of many heathen nations to offer men in sacrifice in a time of pestilence or other like grievous calamity. These were ordinarily the vilest of men, persons of the lowest rank and worst character. Thus, in the first ages, Christians were counted the source of all public calamities and were sacrificed to the people's rage, if not to appease their angry deities. And apostles could not meet with better usage. They suffered in their persons and characters as the very worst and vilest men, as the most proper to make such a sacrifice, or else as the very dirt of the world, that was to be swept away, nay, as the offscouring of all things, the dross, the filings of all things. They were the common sewer into which all the reproaches of the world were to be poured. To be the offscouring of anything is bad, but what is it to be the offscouring of all things? How much did the apostles resemble their master? and fill up that which was behind of his afflictions, for his body's sake, which is the church. Colossians 1 verse 24 They suffered for him, and they suffered after his example. Thus poor and despised was he in his life and ministry. And everyone who would be faithful in Christ Jesus must prepare for the same poverty and contempt. Note, those may be very dear to God, and honorable in his esteem, whom men may think unworthy to live, and use and scorn as the very dirt and refuse of the world. God seeth not as man seeth, 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. 5. We have here the apostles' behavior under all, and the return they made for this maltreatment, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, verses 12 and 13. They returned blessings for reproaches, and entreaties and kind exhortations for the rudest slanders and defamation, and were patient under the sharpest persecutions. Note, the disciples of Christ, and especially his ministers, should hold fast their integrity, and keep a good conscience, whatever opposition of hardships they meet with from the world. Whatever they suffer from men, they must follow the example, and fulfill the will and precepts, of their Lord. They must be content, with him and for him, to be despised and abused. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 14-16 Here Paul challenges their regard to him as their father. He tells them 1. That what he had written was not for their reproach, but admonition, not with the gall of an enemy, but the bowels of a father. Verse 14 I write not to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you. Note, in reproving for sin, we should have a tender regard to the reputation, as well as the reformation, of the sinner. We should aim to distinguish between them and their sins, and take care not to discover any spite against them ourselves, nor expose them to contempt and reproach in the world. Reproofs that expose commonly do but exasperate, when those that kindly and affectionately warn are likely to reform. When the affections of a father mingle with the admonitions of a minister, it is to be hoped that they may at once melt and mend, but to lash like an enemy or executioner will provoke and render obstinate. To expose to open shame is but the way to render shameless. 2. He shows them upon what foundation he claimed paternal relation to them, and called them his sons. They might have other pedagogues or instructors, but he was their father, for in Christ Jesus he had begotten them by the gospel. Verse 15. They were made Christians by his ministry. He had laid the foundation of a church among them. Others could only build upon it. Whatever other teachers they had, he was their spiritual father. He first brought them off from pagan idolatry to the faith of the gospel and the worship of the true and living God. He was the instrument of their new birth, and therefore claimed the relation of a father to them, and felt the bowels of a father towards them. 
Note, there commonly is, and always ought to be, an endeared affection between faithful ministers and those they beget in Christ Jesus through the gospel. They should love like parents and children. 3. We have here the special advice he urges on them, wherefore I beseech you be you followers of me, verse 16. This he elsewhere explains in limits, chapter 11 verse 1 be you followers of me, as I also am of Christ. Follow me as far as I follow Christ. Come up as close as you can to my example in those instances wherein I endeavor to copy after his pattern. Be my disciples, as far as I manifest myself to be a faithful minister and disciple of Christ, and no further. I would not have you be my disciples, but his. But I hope I have approved myself a faithful steward of the mysteries of Christ and a faithful servant of my Master Christ, so far follow me, and tread in my steps. Ministers should so live that their people may take pattern from them and live after their copy. They should guide them by their lives as well as their lips, go before them in the way to heaven, and not content themselves with pointing it out. Note, as ministers are to set a pattern, others must take it. They should follow them as far as they are satisfied that they follow Christ in faith and practice. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 17-21 Here 1. He tells them of his having sent Timothy to them, to bring them into remembrance of his ways in Christ, as he taught everywhere in every church, verse 17, to remind them of his ways in Christ, to refresh their memory as to his preaching and practice, what he taught, and how he lived among them. Note, those who have had ever so good teaching are apt to forget, and need to have their memories refreshed. The same truth, taught over again, if it give no new light, may make new and quicker impression. He also lets them know that his teaching was the same everywhere, and in every church. He had not one doctrine for one place and people, and another for another. He kept close to his instructions. What he received of the Lord, that he delivered, chapter 11 verse 23. This was the gospel revelation, which was the equal concern of all men, and did not vary from itself. He therefore taught the same things in every church, and lived after the same manner in all times and places. Note, the truth of Christ is one and invariable. What one apostle taught everyone taught. What one apostle taught at one time and in one place, he taught at all times and in all places. Christians may mistake and differ in their apprehensions, but Christ and Christian truth are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13 verse 8. To render their regard to Timothy the greater, he gives them his character. He was his beloved son, a spiritual child of his, as well as themselves. Note, spiritual brotherhood should engage affection as well as what is common and natural. The children of one father should have one heart. But he adds, he is faithful in the Lord trustworthy, as one that feared the Lord. He will be faithful in the particular office he has now received of the Lord, the particular errand on which he comes, not only from me, but from Christ. He knows what I have taught, and what my conversation has been in all places, and, you may depend upon it, he will make a faithful report. Note, it is a great commendation of any minister that he is faithful in the Lord, faithful to his soul, to his light, to his trust from God, this must go a great way in procuring regard to his message with those that fear God. 2. He rebukes the vanity of those who imagined he would not come to them, by letting them know this was his purpose, though he had sent Timothy. I will come to you shortly, though some of you are so vain as to think I will not. But he adds, if the Lord will. It seems, as to the common events of life, apostles knew no more than other men, nor were they in these points under inspiration. 
For, had the Apostle certainly known the mind of God in this matter, he would not have expressed himself with this certainty. But he sets a good example to us in it. Note, all our purposes must be formed with a dependence on providence and a reserve for the overruling purposes of God. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this and that, James 4 verse 15. 3. He lets them know what would follow upon his coming to them, I will know, not the speech of those that are puffed up, but the power, verse 19. He would bring the great pretenders among them to a trial, would know what they were, not by their rhetoric or philosophy, but by the authority and efficacy of what they taught, whether they could confirm it by miraculous operations, and whether it was accompanied with divine influences and saving effects on the minds of men. For, adds he, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It is not set up, nor propagated, nor established, in the hearts of men, by plausible reasonings nor florid discourses, but by the external power of the Holy Spirit in miraculous operations at first, and the powerful influence of divine truth on the minds and manners of men. Note, it is a good way in the general to judge of a preacher's doctrine, to see whether the effects of it upon men's hearts to be truly divine. That is most likely to come from God which in its own nature is most fit, and an event is found to produce most likeness to God, to spread piety and virtue, to change men's hearts and mend their manners. For, he puts it to their choice how he should come among them, whether with a rod or in love and the spirit of meekness, verse 21, that is, according as they were they would find him. If they continued perverse among themselves and with him, it would be necessary to come with a rod, that is, to exert his apostolical power in chastising them, by making some examples, and inflicting some diseases and corporal punishments, or by other censures for their faults. Note, stubborn offenders must be used with severity. In families, in Christian communities, paternal pity and tenderness, Christian love and compassion, will sometimes force the use of the rod. But this is far from being desirable, if it may be prevented. And therefore the Apostle adds that it was in their own option whether he should come with a rod or in a quite different disposition and manner, or in love and the spirit of meekness. As much as if he had said, Take warning, cease your unchristian feuds, rectify the abuses among you, and return to your duty, and you shall find me as gentle and benign as you can with. It will be a force upon my inclination to proceed with severity. I had rather come and display the tenderness of a father among you than assert his authority. Do but your duty, and you have no reason to avoid my presence. Note, it is a happy temper in a minister to have the spirit of love and meekness predominant, and yet to maintain his just authority.